This is the Ezra Podcast. This is the Boxing Edition Podcast. I'm going to let that know now. I'm going to separate my boxing and MMA. I just said it. I just did the other podcast, but apparently boxing fans and MMA fans can't get along or don't want to listen to the same thing. Apparently, you can't like both sports, right? No, you can't be like me to like both sports, but that's all right. So this is the Boxing Edition. Today, we're going to talk Daniel Jacobs versus John Ryder and a, a fight that people are calling for controversy, calling for, you know, a fix, calling for Daniel Jacobs' robbery. And I, I'm just going to tell you that it's BS and it's nonsense. And if you're saying that, I'm going to tell you why. I'm going to tell you why that, not that you're, um, I think you're just thinking incorrectly on this, right? You just got to think logically on this. Well, first of all, this is good to the fight, how the fight breaks down, right? The Daniel Jacobs comes out and the one thing I did not think Daniel Jacobs was going to be able to do was be active, right, with his shots. And he wasn't extremely active, but he was not gun shy and he really controlled the first half of this fight. One through five, like, it's Daniel Jacobs to me, hands down. And Ryder just cannot get in range. He can't get past the jab. And Jacobs is just controlling this fight. And he peppers him at times. And John Ryder, who, to me, slow feet, slow hands, short arms, short, no power. Very, lacks head movement. Doesn't have a lot of skills to getting in. At this point, I'm like, he's kind of helpless. And that's what I would say. If Daniel Jacobs could jab, John Ryder's helpless in this fight. And a prime Daniel Jacobs, John Ryder's kind of just food for him, honestly. He's just kind of tailor-made for him. It's that style. But John Ryder, with all those things that I just said, finds a way to be effective in fights. He's just one of those guys. He's just going to find a way. And he has a lot of heart. And he's durable. And he really believes in what he's doing. And he's very confident in what he's doing. So then he just slowly that forward pressure and just kind of you know constantly just kind of coming forward Daniel Jacobs just age shows up his inability to you know connect what his brain wants with his hands and it kind of looks exhausted at points he just can no longer keep uh John Ryder from getting in range and really John Ryder is just coming forward he's not really doing anything or adding some kind of special trick to to throw Daniel Jacobs off, Daniel Jacobs just cannot keep up that pace to keep him off anymore. And once that happened, this whole fight flipped on his head. So I understand that if he scored uh, Daniel Jacobs one through five, him, even one through six, him, one through five, because the six rounds were kind of all turned around and John Ryder just kind of takes over the whole second half of this fight. And then it's now completely one-sided the... The first five was, and then a war breaks out in the six, and then from that point, John, John Ryder just... It's just on Daniel Jacobs. And Daniel Jacobs keeps switching stances, which I thought maybe it was because of a hand injury that he couldn't jab anymore. So he realized how important the jab was. So he's like, I switched stance, put my right hand in front so I can start jabbing. Um, who knows? Who knows what, what happened there and why he did that? Or if that was like a strategic thing. All I know is that when he did switch stances, his balance dropped down by like 25%, if not more. Um, another thing was like when you switch, and um, you know, if you've ever boxed before, you know, done anything like that, and you switch, right? You switch hands, you switch stance. There's always one side that's sharper than the other. It's usually the case. And when something's sharper than the other, that means you have more confidence in it. So, like, if your defense isn't sharp, right? It's a little bit less sharp than if you're orthodox, right? On your cellophane, it's a little less sharp. You believe in it less. So you don't take the chances because you're kind of like, you're, 
constantly thinking like, oh, there's there's holes in this and I know there's there is, so I can't really take the chances I want to take or I can't throw this shot because I know that I'm not going to be able to get this shot off. And you won't take those chances because you're not confident in what you're doing. So it does diminish and then you start thinking more. You have to think more about the actions you're doing. All this is happening to Jacobs, who then is unbalanced and ends up, you know, getting in flurries where he's on the road, stand, standing in his stance is not his best stance, and it's not his best stance by a mile. And John Rush is taking advantage of all this, and John Rush is doing what he does. He never mixes up from what he does, and he's just finding forward pressure, and he's just pushing shots out, and he's just putting it on down Jacobs, and he's just getting in range, and then he smothers him. He's doing all these things, and Jacobs just starts falling apart. So, like I said, full first half of the fight, Jacobs. Full second half, Ryder. Last round, I really, you know, didn't, couldn't see enough from either guys where I'm like, that's clearly that guy's round. I actually scored that last round draw. I don't even like scoring draws, but I just, was, to me, I was like, it's just not enough to me from seeing that I'm going to pick a guy. I have John Ryder winning by a round. Now, like I said, I scored the last one a draw. If I win Jacobs, it's a, tie, it's a draw. If I um, won Ryder, he wins by two rounds. And now everyone calling, you know, a fixed fight or robbery, all these things, you got to really think, right? First of all, everyone has this fight close. I ask people, everyone has this fight close. And they said that Jacobs won by a round or two rounds. Okay, so Jacobs won by a round or two rounds. And in this fight, there were some, you know, six rounds, super close to go to war. Last round, super close to go, uh, you know, no one really takes full control of it. There's some other rounds that you can make, maybe make a case, right? Well, that means that there's, Three swing rounds at, at bare minimum. Well, if you swing those rounds to Ryder, he wins. If you swing those rounds to Jacobs, he wins. If you split them, it's a draw. That's just a close fight. Whether you feel Jacobs won, that's fine. But you can't say that a close fight can't go either way. Yes, it's a close fight. It could go either way. And this is what I want to Ryder. But the judge, one judge had it for Jacobs. The other two judges had it for Ryder. There's no problem in that. But when we say robbery, every time we have a close fight, that's like... In the NFL, when you have a close game, right, and the, say the ref, in, like we had said Super Bowl, and the ref missed a call against the, the Bengals, uh, Higgins grabbed Jalen Ramsey's face mask and threw him to the floor. And when the game ends with the last touchdown drive, right, what boxing would do was just focus on that play. And not saying the NFL doesn't, the fans won't focus on the play, but boxing will only talk about that. They're not going to talk about who won. They're not going to talk about the fight. They're just going to focus on that one play. That, that's what boxing does. They just focus on the decision. And they get in their mindset, it's a robbery. Every time it's a close fight, it's a robbery. Because they didn't, the score didn't go the way they scored it. And we lose momentum, right? When really, Jacobs and Ryder, even though it started off pretty you know, boring, I guess if you wanted more action, I kind of liked what Jacobs was doing. I was kind of enjoying uh, you know, the, the one-sidedness early of it. And then it breaks out to a pretty good fight. And then we have a run by John Ryder late. That makes it very interesting. But we, we robbed that, right? We did the same thing with Charlo Castano. And I was to blame, too, because I thought, I was like, oh, man, Castano won that fight walking away. But it, it was a close fight. Even if I had Castano winning, it was a close fight. So when you do that, you kill the momentum for boxing, right? You just kill it. You kill the momentum that fight have. You kill the momentum for the fighter. One really we should just acknowledge it was a close fight and just talk about the fight and the things that we saw happen in the fight. But no, we talk, it's a robbery. They're doing this and this. It's not all those things. I think Deion Jacobs, I think what I learned from this fight is Deion Jacobs is past his prime. Right? He, second half of the fight, he doesn't have the energy. He doesn't have uh, He doesn't have the coordination. He doesn't have the 
ability that's connected from his brain to his fist that he once had. And it's, when it happens, that creates self-doubt, right? Self-doubt is a scary thing. When your brain sees something and your fist can't do it, right? It cannot connecting. You will shell up. And that's kind of like what Down Jacobs does. He gets too tired. His brain, his fists are not going to do his brain anymore. He can't release the shots he wants to. And he just begins to shell up. Down Jacobs is no longer in his prime. I don't really need to see Down Jacobs fight anymore. If he wants to fight, he's kind of like turning into, you know, kind of a gatekeeper. And I don't think Down Jacobs needs that. I think he's had some pretty good paydays. I assume that this was a pr- all right payday for him too. I think Down Jacobs is just done. He can go off now and, you know, enjoy himself. And I think Down Jacobs has, is probably going to have plenty of opportunities outside of the ring. I think he might even have a commentating gig. You know, he's, I like hearing Down Jacobs talk. I think he's very smart, very articulate the way he, uh, and I think he could really break down boxing. I think he might have a feature in that. Now, John Ryder, a guy that's doing the most with the least, right? Like, there's not a guy you can name me that says, like, he had less ability, less skill, um, you know, less attributes. That's having this kind of success. And it looks like we're setting up a, a matchup between Ryder to face the winner of Andrade versus Cash. I mean, not Cash, I'm sorry. Um, my, my, my brain's blanking on this. But Andrade's next fight, the winner, will fight uh, Ryder. And I'm sure... Uh, Matchroom is hoping Andrade wins that fight. Set up this Ryder fight. It's a pretty decent fight. Put it in uh, Europe. And Andrade gets a fight. You know, who Andrade was just looking for notable names. He's willing to fight anyone who's willing to give him a chance. And John Ryder has the win over Jacobs. Now builds up in, you know, building a little following. Getting some credible wins against Andrade, which set Andrade up for a good, to be a good spot at 168. Or uh, John Ryder wins to be a good spot at 168 himself. On the undercard, you have uh, Phil Cash versus My, uh, Magomed Mariev. Uh, Mariev. And Magomed is a guy with very little power. You know what I mean? Record shows that he only has four knockouts. And he's fighting Felix Cash, who's, you know, an, uh, kind of an up-and-comer, getting, you know, a little long, long on the two to be kind of considered a prospect. Um, and Felix Cash, who's, you know, can look good, right? He looks a little stiff for me, a little maybe too much muscle on his arms. But there's just little flaws in his game. And the lack of athleticism when you have those kind of flaws, it, it, they really stand out when you're not like superiorly fat. You know, so, um, you're not like the fastest guy. You're not the fastest guy in the world. Then those skills, like when you have a flaw and you have a hole in your defense, it's just you, everyone can see it. And Magomed lo- loaded up on some shots, right, to... To hopefully do some damage, and he does do some damage, and he drops Felix Cash multiple times. Now, I don't think Felix Cash would ever, to me, in threats of losing this fight, but like I said, if you drop him a few times, get a few 10 8 rounds, it gets interesting, right? It gets pretty interesting. But I thought Felix Cash was the right guy to win this fight. But you see those limitations in uh, Felix Cash, and, I, and it was funny because going into the week, everyone would just tell me, like, Felix Cash this, Felix Cash that. I'd never been high on him. I never have because the mistakes, the defensive mistakes, the loss of balance, the having to reset to get his offense going, is all those things like that, not being superior athletic. Um, I just saw that there was just too many openings for that. And he got to a certain point, it would get exposed, and it almost got exposed in this fight. He gets the win, he'll move on. But like I said, he's kind of like the guy, just he's going to be a favorite for a little bit because of name and who, you know, they're behind him. 
He's going to be, you know, betting favorite. But I just keep putting my chips. Because that's not going to, you know, that's one day that's going to pay out. One day he's going to lose and that's going to pay out. And the holes in his game, you know, I don't know if they're going to get fixed. But they're pretty obvious now, right? You have to see him. So, I mean, the strange staff has to see him. So, maybe they can make some of the adjustments to change it. But a lot of things have to do with, like I said, balance and keeping your body in the right position. And that's coordination. That's... Sometimes, you know, you might not be able to learn those things. I do want to get on some news and notes of boxing. And that's uh, Ryan Garcia exits Eddie Reynoso's gym. Everything I'm hearing, right? And it's funny because there was a rumor uh, last week that TFM Lopez would be being trained. There was uh, talks of him being trained by Eddie Reynoso. And I really thought that was like a kind of like an excellent pairing, especially because... Tufimo's uh, a counterpuncher, explosive, with some good power. Kind of, you know, right where Reynoso likes to teach, right? Reynoso likes to teach you how to respond and put your shots together and set traps to where the guy attacks and you respond to and counter him. So it, it makes sense. But what doesn't make sense is Ryan Garcia and Tufimo Lopez are the same way, if not Tufimo's like five pounds ahead of him, which, Tufim, which Ryan Garcia will eventually be with there. So it's like, how are you going to train both of us when we might, you know, match up later? And it's not like Reynoso doesn't have similar situations in the gym when he has Andy Ruiz and Frank Sanchez. So maybe he, he didn't see the big deal in it. But there's also other things that I'm, you know, have me worried about Ryan Garcia, right? And a lot of times, you know, when it's everyone else's fault and not your fault, you kind of have to, you know, do some self-reflecting, right? To look, get, get some better mirrors in your house. Ryan Garcia... You know, the warning signs were there, right? The warning signs were there. Canelo comes out says, he, hey, he's not in the gym enough. You know, he needs to focus on boxing. He needs to not knock out all the other things that are, are distractions, right? And really focus on what, you know, getting the most out of this that he can. You know, you had the, the fights he pulled out of, the mental, you know, mental thing. I, I don't know those situations. I don't really know what happened there. I don't know if he, he just didn't want to fight or if he really did have the mental uh, problems and needed, it wasn't healthy for him to keep going, or the injuries to his hand and all those things. But we, can, um, we can't get past what Canelo said, right? He said it, he came out and said it for a reason. And I don't think that, you know, Ryan liked that. I think, I know for you know, it looks to me like I know, we know for a fact he didn't. And I think that he never felt you know, well, people are saying that he's just changing trainers, but I don't think so. I think it's more than that. You know what I mean? I think it's, he keeps saying he needs to want, you know, in the thing with the, his father, he talked on boxing scene, he gave an interview with boxing scene, and he said, you know, they wanted to get out from the shadows of like kind of Canelo, and they wanted to, you know, build uh, Garcia's brand. And to me, those aren't things you say just when you're replacing a trainer. You know, what is it? The trainer have to do with his brand or, you know, shadows of Canelo when you, you know, you're just training with this trainer. You're not really even associated with Canelo really in that way. Like, why would that affect him? And I think this is more of a release of, like, anyone else for, well, first of all, it could be the TFML thing, but also his opinion on Ryan Garcia's career. Maybe they didn't like some of the things he was saying or decisions made. But it's all warning signs, right, that Ryan Garcia is going to be a guy that you can't really tell him what to do, right, because he's going to take offense to it and feel like he's bigger than that and he will leave. And 
is he just going to go where it's easier for him? Is he really focused on becoming the best boxer, or is he focused on his brand? He's focused on his name power, focused on what he could do outside of the ring, and focused on all those things. I just think all the Warren sense there. That's why I'm selling his stock. I've been the highest. I've been really high on Ryan Garcia. I, I'm the only guy to probably pick him over Haney. Me and you know uh, Broadway Joe on YouTube and on Twitter, the only two guys, really the only two guys I know like probably favor him over Haney. But right now. I gotta call it what it is, and it looks like it's sporadic, and it looks like decisions are being made very quick, or they're being made because people are offended, or like Ryan Garcia doesn't want to hear any criticism, or maybe doesn't want to dedicate his life to what the what that trainer needs. I don't know, but that's what I'm seeing. That's what it looks like. So I'm gonna sell stock. David Benavides' manager uh, was talking, and you know they brought up the the. Uh, Andrade fight and it was a fight that you know Eddie Hearn has brought up saying these are two guys that are going to be mandatory why don't they fight each other and then we could come with one uh, you know they said super mandatory fighter which I've never heard before and it sounds like you know we're making it up as we go along which is unusual in boxing so they asked Ben to be his manager about you know what do you think of the Andrade fight and he said that he would actually have to get paid more than he was going to get paid for the Canelo fight to fight Andrade Andrade. Now, if that doesn't make any sense to you, that's because it doesn't make any sense to anyone. There's no logic behind it. Other than the fact that you do not want to fight Andrade. Other than the fact that Benavides doesn't want to fight anyone. That's if you're not named Canelo. And that sounds admirable, right? Like, oh, he wants to fight the best guy in the world. I could take it from him. But it's not really. Because what he's not really saying, you know, I want to beat Canelo. He's kind of saying, I want that Canelo payday. And I'm not going to do anything that... And if you're going to fight i'm gonna fight you and not canelo you better pay me what canelo's paying me or you better pay me more than that because i'm really just after this payday not wrong to be after a payday but it is kind of wrong when you have other fights that are on the same side of the street in the same weight class right there for you and you're just kind of hoping lingering around gonna fight guys that are past their prime no or not the same skill level you're no real risk until canelo comes back around to find you I, I don't I can't agree with that. I just I can't agree with any of these guys, their mindsets. The only one I agree with Andr- Andrade. Andrade will fight anyone. Now am I high on Andrade? No. But I think he'll fight everyone. I'm not doubting that. I think this guy is willing to step in the ring with any man. I've not seen that from anyone else. I'm not talking Bavo, I'm talking Joe Smith, I'm talking Beardsvev, I'm talking um you know Caleb Plant, I'm talking Charlo. All those guys I haven't seen it. Uh, Triple G anymore. Uh, Mangia, none of these guys want to fight each other. They all want to wait for some kind of Canelo payday to come around. And it might come around to catch them all. But to me, like as boxing fans, like is that good that these guys just don't fight each other and just wait and fight Canelo? I think that them fighting each other makes these fights bigger with Canelo. Makes the opportunities bigger. And it gets them some paydays while they're waiting, right? Because you may not you may not get that Canelo fight. Or you might lose the, one of these tune-ups. Might as well fight the best guy with the biggest payday you could possibly get other than Canelo. But to me, the middleweight division is, you know, the worst division in boxing right now. And I, I, I you know, I kind of stopped counting past, well, you know, when I get to 118. But 115, I'll go 115. And then everything below that is kind of like, so I don't tell me like, oh, you haven't seen 108. You know what I mean? I, I, don't, I don't give a damn. 
I'm not saying I don't respect those guys as fighters either. You kind of have to be safe how I say these things because I don't want to disrespect fighters. But it's just like I'm not paying attention to what I wait and what's happening there and the inner workings and politics of it. But middleweight is, 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 is it's, it's, it's down bad. Cruiserweight, it's right there. Middleweight and cruiserweight, like to me, they're, they're right there. They're, they're, they're pretty bad. And honestly, you go you throw 167 in there. If 167 had Canelo and these guys weren't fighting each other, it's, it's trash weight. And one. 75 is just, I don't even know what the hell that is. There's guys that we think are scary. We're, you know, we're making up. It's, it's more our imagination. That's what it is. Like, it's, you know, I was just watched, just watched Sandlot the other day. And I was talking to my cousin about it. He said he hated Sandlot because he hated the end of it. He said the whole part of the dog, he didn't like it. And I said that it made a lot of sense, right? Because you're really working off the kid's imagination. That the dog was a lot worse than in their imagination than he was in real life. Right. Would they over time and talking about it enough and come hearing these stories and the stories getting bigger? That's basically what is happening in 175. These stories are getting big on these guys. I'm not really sure. I kind of think that if we hop over this fence and actually see it, we're going to just start seeing some, you know, A minus to B plus fighters. I mean, look at we're talking, look at the way we're talking about Joe Smith, a, a proven journeyman, a proven, you know, mediocre fighter, if we're being honest. Joseph has to be in talk for, you know, being, you know, one of the best promotions of the year of how they promoted him, right? Because somehow he's like a credible threat now. And, you know, I I just can't see it. I I really judge things off what I see and not, I have to look at what I see and maybe not just like the end result, but like, what am I seeing? And I'm just not seeing a high level fighter. At least not high level, level enough of like the names of Canelo and the names of, even I'll even throw in, you know, Charlo and Plant. He's not that level, those guys. So I feel like we're building 175 into like the, the, these beasts here, but maybe it's just Sandlot situation here. And there's just a normal dog on the side of that fence. Now we do, speaking of 175, we have Canelo, who's rumored to be going to fight, sign a deal to fight Pavol at 175. And this is going to set Canelo up to, you know, eventually meet the winner of Bierzviv versus Joe Smith uh, Jr., which is supposedly signed. So Canelo could be undisputed at 175 as well pretty soon. And that is impressive. And, you know, are we now Canelo being judged at a curve? Yes, yes, he is. Now, a lot of people want to see Canelo fight Charlo. Uh, Charles going through some, you know, personal issues, but I don't think that stops a fight from happening. All a lot of worse situations have happened, and guys still fought. I just think that, um, you know, Canelo sees guaranteed two fights, and Bavol, you know, it's just be honest. He, you know, he fights Charlo. It's it's a good as far as like a big name, yes, but Charles never fought at one sixty eight. You know, he's, he doesn't really have, like, the credible wins that, like, would really add to Canelo's resume as far as if he beats him. And I think Papal does offer that. And whether it's not exactly, you know, it's not the biggest thing, not even close to being the biggest thing. But there's, he's legit 175. Canelo's moving up. He's, uh, you know, there's no doubt. We try to knock the Kovalev, right? Not me, but people try to knock the Kovalev win because they say, like, oh, he's past his prime orders and he beat him, whatever. So, like, he's like, okay, then I'll fight, I'll fight the guy that's, you know, supposedly the best at 175. No one wants to fight. And I'm moving up to fight him. 
And there's no doubt about it, Bavol is a top five win for Canelo. Now, Charlo, I would 100% agree, is a bigger name. And would generate more revenue. 100% agree. But I don't think he has the long staying value, you know, to stay in like the to affect when he that he would be in Canelo's top five wins. You know, like I think Charlo and Daniel Jacobs are very close to each other as far as like credible wins and success in the ring. And I know that maybe Charlo's middleweight reign, as far as like defenses, all that might be more than Andrade. I mean, I'm sorry, uh, more than uh, Jacobs. But as far as just like skill and actually like names achieved, uh, if just if we ignore titles and all that nonsense, because sometimes that that you know sometimes that's just overblown. They're kind of even, right? Like is it, a uh, Julian uh, Williams better win than Peter Quillen? Like to me, I'm like, damn, that's pretty close. Now Julian Williams does have a better win than any win that Peter Quillen's ever had, but like I said, I just feel like. Those are pretty similar wins. Jacobs has a... I believe Daniel Jacobs Dervinchenko. Did he... Yeah, he beat Dervinchenko. I wonder why I want to say that was a draw, but it wasn't. I don't think... Yeah, Dervinchenko would have... Just wanted me to check that out before I say that. I'm incorrect. I, I can be wrong sometimes. I can be. I don't know why BoxRec is like not working for me now. I created a profile and now it just doesn't work. It's just it's a it's an annoying website. For just being hundred percent honest here. No, he beat Dervinchenko. Yeah, so he beat Dervinchenko. Yeah, to me, uh, Dan Jacobs has a better career right now than Charlo. I probably we probably doesn't end that way. I would think Charlo that. If Charlo can finally get some fights and maybe move to 168 is like the only answer, which is might be asking a lot for Charlo, but I think he could get some interesting matchups and you know possibly push his thing past Daniel Jacobs and you know be in Canelo's top five wins. This has been the As Raw podcast. Thank you for listening.